1: Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffen. It's another week, therefore, it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Crispy and Mills of Cooler Shaker. That's right, Cooler Shaker are back with another record that drops early 2024, Um, but there's new music out that you can get right now. Current single Waves is on all streaming platforms. Go check it out. Anyway. I get to sit down with Crispian and and have a look back and and what an interesting story he's got obviously it's very well documented he comes from a, a very 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 famous family and uh, and we and we talk on you know what that was like growing up um in a house when you know various sort of tv and movie stars would would be popping in for a, you know a brew on a saturday we 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 talk about that and and we talk about some great records and uh, and it's it's a it's a really really good little episode this one, and uh, I know you're going to love it. Before we get going with that episode, I just want to do some thank yous, and I want to thank um, Scroobius Pip, um, who is the the you know the, the king of the podcasts, and uh, and he's an absolute gent, he's Pip. And if it wasn't for him, I'd I'd have no idea, you know, that I had no idea I was going to end up working in in the podcast industry, and it's all because of of PIP and his, his wonderful podcast, Distraction Pieces. And uh, and obviously he's got a network, which is the Distraction Pieces Network, which is the home of this podcast, as well as many other incredible podcasts. So um, so go and have an explore of the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, I'd also like to thank the team at Blue Murder Club that produced this podcast. Um, it's, uh, it's a wonderful true crime podcast. I urge you to go and listen and yeah and it's those those people over there that are responsible for producing this one of the things that uh I like to talk about on the intro and I'm sure this is the bit that you all sort of fast forward but don't and just 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 bear with us and because the reason so many podcasters and and creators kind of do this little pitchy bit is because well it really it really helps and it really matters and and I want to tell you about the patreon and there's lots of patrons for all manner of things. And then generally, they're all sort of 5 quid, 10 quid, 20 quid. My one's a quid. Well, it's not even a quid. It's a dollar. So that works out to be like 70 pence. And that's what I charge a month. And so what you do by paying that 70 pence a month is basically you support and help finance the production of this that you're listening to now. And... And it enables me to consistently continue releasing podcasts and and setting time aside to to have these conversations. I do it for love anyway, you know that. But it really does help. Um, and what you get for that seventy pence a month, you get to well, you get to watch all the episodes. I should say that that's that's quite important. Um, I put the videos up on Patreon, so you if you like to watch your podcasters and and see all their beautiful faces and, and my big ugly melon, then you can do that over on Patreon. I put up mixtapes, and you get access to a back catalogue as well, I should say, of, of hundreds of episodes that have never been released to the public. Stacks of radio shows. There's there's so many radio shows that, that, that I've done that are all, all sitting over on Patreon, waiting for you to go and get stuck in. But each month, I do a live show on Zoom. And it's your chance to to feature on the podcast and I've created this lovely little community um of of patrons and once a month we hang out and we just have a lovely little chat and we pick a topic for each one and it's It's really nice it's it's not a elitist thing it's not where we're all sitting there talking about obscure records, it's just laced with nostalgia and um you know and just people that want to sort of talk about their favorite records and, and and you know why they mean a lot to them and and what they were doing at that point it's really lovely and we do that each month um and that all comes as part of your, your 70 pence a month um and i mean th- these live shows you don't have to um get involved you can just turn up on zoom with your camera off and just listening or watching and with your mic off it's, it's up to you you can be as involved as you'd like um but i really do urge you to come along to one because they're really good fun um it's such a a, a nice gang of people that have, have started attending these um and so yeah that's all the stuff you get when you um support this podcast over on patreon and that's patreon which is dot com forward slash off the beat and track. Um, so, what I should also say is anything else you need to know about this podcast, whether you subscribe or you want to follow us on the socials, all the links are at a really simple website, which is off the beat and track podcast.com. So, head over there and uh, and that gives you an insight into everything. Um, if you can't support us on uh, on Patreon, I do understand this a cost of living crisis, but please give us a like, a love, a share on the social, subscribe to the podcast, leave some comments, because it all helps get the word out there. So, uh, yeah, I'd urge you to do um, any of the aforementioned. And lastly, if you've just joined us, because you're, you're, you're big Cooler Shaker fans, then um, I should say that there's over 500 episodes out already and uh, and if you grew up loving cooler Shaker in the 90s then there's well, you're you're in good company because there's a stack of literally a who's who of um of bands that kind of blew up in the 90s whether it be Andy Bell or Ride and Oasis um suede um blur i've had so many of them on so you can you know when you finish listening to today's chat with Crispin go and explore that back catalog because um yeah, there's, there's over 500 episodes with all of your favourite actors, musicians, comedians, producers. And uh, yeah, I'd love you to go and have a, a look and a listen. Okay, let's get on with it. Please enjoy today's episode with the delightful Crispian Mills of Cooler Shaker. It's off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him Okay, we are recording. Crispian, how are you today? I'm fine.
2: Oh a bit of tonsillitis, but apart from that I'm all good. Good, good, good. Mustn't grumble.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. Well it's nice to nice to have you on today and uh, Thank you for having me. An a, absolute pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure. Um before we sort of you know, start sort of looking back and, 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 and chatting about some of the songs that have been really sort of important uh, throughout your your life and creative journey. Um, I always like to start the podcast, uh, Crispin, by asking artists to tell me the song that they regard as having the greatest ever intro.
2: Yes. It's a good question because the uh, intros are are definitely an art and they, um, they are, they're not accidental. They're crafted and they're considered. And, um, you know, it goes it goes back to the uh, to the dawn of of composition. So you've got quite a lot to choose from, but for me, the experience that I had with the greatest um, intro, and certainly I would say this is up there with Beethoven and some of the greats, is the intro to "Smoke on the Water," <laughs> because it. Um, it's so simple, and it, it's so good, and it just keeps on going round and round and round in a in a circle. The first version that I ever heard of "Smoke on the Water" was when I was, um, I'd say, eleven or twelve. You know, when you're at your most susceptible, and the first impressions go very deep. In fact, I think you take them with you your whole life. Absolutely. And um, the the uh, the first version was was played to me by. A kid called Ben Castle, who's actually the son of Roy Castle. And he was already a, br- a brilliant, brilliant musician at that time. He was a bit of a prodigy at 11 or 12. He was an um, amazing jazz saxophonist. Is that His how old dad...
1: you would have been at that time? Sorry? Is that how old you would have been at that time?
2: Yeah. So yeah. I was 11. We were both 11, 12. And he, he was into really sort of avant garde jazz. You know, he was a very curious, eccentric kid. And he was into that. He would. Well, c- I was at a boarding school and he would go home and watch the young ones and come back and tell us, you know, what was going on on TV. And anyway, he, he turned me on to this band called Deep Purple. And um, and he he played me uh, Deep Purple live in Japan, which I think is a, is a common theme amongst people who get into rock music early on is that they hear that album and it changes their the whole they get they get the hit of. Of 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 British rock, <laughs> and and the, it, and actually the live in Japan is is it's more exciting than than Machine Head than the studio version, and they all have a, a little bit of a play and the tempo and the recording is just uh, phenomenal, and it led me to it led me to become really really heavily into Deep Purple at a, quite a young age, and I went down to the local record store when I was about about that time in Kingston upon Thames and there was one of those great indie record stores where there were a lot of goths and a lot of metalheads a lot of people doing this you know which it, it used to be everywhere obviously it isn't isn't so um so prevalent now and um and I pulled out Deep Purple in Rock which has their faces on Mount Rushmore and I said oh this looks substantial <laughs> so I think this must be the one I should get. So I remember walking up, wide-eyed, innocent, to the desk, pushing this this album across the desk, and this slightly advanced in years metalhead looked up, looked at the album, he looked at me, and he went, "That is a classic album." <laughs> all right you've been warned and you know he felt like he he was taking part in my initiation that is a classic album you go home now and you know good luck so it did it did change my life it got me into that sound and um yeah it's 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 not only one of the great great intros it's one of the great rock live recordings and you know it's it's scarred many generations now
1: I want to ask you as, as as a songwriter and how the way that people listen to music when Coolie Shaker first started making music and the ways that the platforms that they get it on, which would have been, like you say, the aforementioned indie record stores or your HMVs and things like that and buying it on CD or, or vinyl. And what I've seen. Uh, is the fact that over the, the way that my kids get their music now is that they find it on things like TikTok and Spotify playlists and things like that. And and I guess maybe with more sort of mainstream pop music, it feels that like songs are getting shorter and shorter and shorter to, to kind of cater for rapid moving thumbs that, that seem to have kind of a, a shorter attention span, I guess, is where I'm going with this. And... And so that's reflective in lots of commercial pop music, you know, songs that are literally, you know, two and a half minutes long and, and things like that. And there is, I mean, that live version of, of, of Smoke on the Water, there's no vocal for like a minute and 20. And the thought that you take that to a label now, you'd get laughed out the door, which is, you know, which is ridiculous. But in the current sort of climate of pop music, it's all so short and, and so. Where I'm going with this question, Crispin, is like when you're writing the new Coolie Shaker record, does any of these trends in how people are getting music and, and rather than trying to get on the evening session, now they're trying to get on Spotify playlists and, and it's saturated in, in music so that you know, you've got to grab them quickly. Does any of that filter through into your creative process?
2: I think you have to feel... Um, like there's, you know, there's a way of saying what you want to say in four minutes or six minutes or seven minutes. And there's a way of saying it in two and a half and actually two and a half can be more of an art. If you listen to, you know, um, I should know better or, you know, any of those early Beatles singles or Elvis and you just think, wow, how did they do that in, in two minutes? You know, that was just that's genius and and I, I i love that i love the single um shape uh but i also love highway star <clears throat> so it all depends way how you feel and what what kind of um what kind of mood you want to get across i've done both and i i continue to to do both and the album that we're we've just finished the, the new one which will come out um next year it's more it is more pop in terms of its its structure because we just did a double album called first congregational church of eternal love and free hugs there was some pretty long songs on there so you know I I find you know you tend to kind of you know swing with the pendulum yeah. um according to your mood but also those bands like like Deep Purple and you know Led Zeppelin they they'd also they were able to do those short single versions you want to take the big rock bands sure. who are known known for doing all of those, you know, sort of epic Stairway to Heaven type things, you know, they they had done it. And, you know, Led Zeppelin is pretty poppy, actually, mm. you know, some pretty poppy, com- compact tunes there. And uh, so, so I think it's horses for courses Absolutely. at the end of the day.
1: <laughs> I'm going to ask you for track two to tell me the first song that you remember having an emotional impact on you, please
2: emotional impact i mean i'm 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 tempted to go you know because i've answered a lot of these questions that you that you warned me about I, i've answered them truthfully because there's a temp, there's a temptation when you go back and you look at your the formative musical influences and you want to think oh well, actually it was i was listening to surrealist minimalist yeah. <laughs> dada uh, <laughs> music from Saint petersburg or whatever but um no, I grew up. I grew up. You know, I was born in seventy three. So really, it was through through the seventies and eighties, early nineties that I was a. You know, you know, prior to being considered an adult, whatever that means. So I I tend to look back and think, oh yeah, I can see why that was happening. And the first music that I heard, that 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 went deep and became a kind of a a, an emotional soundtrack because that is what music is tends to be it, it it's a reflection it's like you we remember the smell of cut grass you know on a summer's afternoon when we were a kid and that takes us back and obviously music is the same thing but it it reflects where you're at emotionally at that time things that you can't put quite put into words because you weren't old enough to and so the music becomes a kind of a mirror into who you were and how you felt and my mum used to say to me oh you know good night darling would you like me to put some music on it for you and she used to go down to the because we lived in a in a, a georgian terraced house in between southall and hounslow uh which is probably why i ended up becoming very um sort of connected to 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 indian music and food um but we were at the top of this i was at the top of the house and my, and there were bars on the window so i wouldn't fall out and she would put on the record player at the bottom of the house and it would kind of drift up the stairs and she'd put on the same record every night she put on michael field tubular bells the first side and and i knew about the movie the exorcist because i'd heard the Parents talking about it
1: i mean this sounds terrifying yeah
2: i heard about i knew that this was the soundtrack to a really scary film shall i put tubular bells on for you and i'm like shall i put on the exorcist yes please but it was it is a beautiful piece of music but it had an associate has an eeriness it has a tension it has a cinematic Mood and obviously even the even that amazing album cover, you know, it's the the ocean, it's the unknown, so uh, it did speak to me on a deep level, and it and it, and every night it went on, it was a journey, and I I think I would I would tend to listen to the whole thing and then fall asleep.
1: If you had to pinpoint the emotion, what would it have been?
2: <laughs> if I had to pinpoint the emotional,
1: what the emotion, what would it have been?
2: Um, well, I think like most people, childhood is a mixture of, you know, uh, joy and, and despair, <laughs> you know, because um, you're, you're, you are pretty lost and confused. And uh, I, I had, I had both, both wheels rolling at the same time. I had a, I had a, on one level, I had a loving family and on, on another level, I had a family that was completely broken. And, um, so, you know, it's like very mixed messages, you know, uh, so much of childhood is confusing because you're full of the joy of life and yet you're very sensitive to what's around you. And kids know that you know, people, people are struggling. So, um, it was, it was, it was those kind of twin emotions of, of, um, being, you know, uplifted and inspired and in it that melancholy that 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 record has
1: you mentioned that you know that it was your mom that put that record
0: millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right
1: on downstairs. Um, tell us a little bit about those, those early years. And and what I want to know is, like, aside from that, was it was it a musical house? Was was there always records on or was the radio on? And, 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 and secondly, I'm gonna I'll, I'll load the question was, was you always encouraged to, to be creative?
2: I was encouraged. Yes, I was up to a point. Um, you know, in the in the sort of mid late seventies, um, there were a lot of actors that used to come around at the weekend. Uh, you know, actors who weren't working. Most actors aren't working, but these ones were working maybe in the week. And uh, there was some guitars around, and um, my grandfather was a great piano player. Really, he played great kind of bluesy jazz, and I uh, used to love listening to him. But I was encouraged to a point. I remember there was an electric guitar and an amp in one of the rooms and I decided to plug it in and start making a racket. I was about five. And the actor Rob Lindsay came in with some of the the adults. And at that time, Rob Lindsay was famous for playing Citizen Smith, Mm. you know, power to the people and he he came and he's a very funny guy, and he came in and as as the grownups came in the room, somebody just flicked the amp off and just took the guitar away and he looked <laughs> and he looked he looked at me and he said it happens that <laughs> <laughs> happens a lot yeah
1: how how was that sort of time and when you'd go and sort of see your friends at school, did you realize that you know having Robert Lindsey Rand on a Saturday probably wasn't happening in your friends' houses. And like, did, did you feel that you had something, you know, very different going on at home to, to maybe classmates?
2: Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit, but I didn't, you know, um, I didn't really brag about it much. Um, I did know a guy down the road whose, whose dad worked at pinewood studios or somewhere like that and he was in the props department or something and him he, he went in with, one weekend with his with his two kids while disney were making a movie called the black hole which was like 2001 for kids was well, that, very that was there
1: that was disney's go at star wars wasn't it trying to kind of replicate star wars if i remember rightly
2: yeah, I think it was like it was but it was also like a bad acid trip, you know. So it was it was like I, I guess they sold it to the to the uh to the executives as hey we're gonna do Star Wars but secretly the 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 writers were like, We're gonna do two thousand and one for kids And it you know it but there are robots in it and there's there was one called Maximilian and mm. and, and um and they're quite scary, uh intimidating looking robots and they these kids with their dad had gone in the prop department and they'd had pictures taken of them with the robots. And he oh, went right. into school with this, he went into school with those pictures and and everyone, it, it, yeah, it was a bit, it, it was a bit, you gotta be careful you don't just sort of get, get seen as a show off yeah. bragging. Somebody says, yeah, that's really cool. And then <laughs> punches you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Shame he's not here now, that robot.
1: Um, I'm gonna ask you, for, for track three to tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please.
2: Yeah, what was that? I, I had thought it through. Um Yeah. Yeah, you know, the that I, I changed schools quite a few times actually because um m- my family were moving around. And um but if there's a if there's a song that that for me really connects me to the past it's it's when, when i started playing guitar and when i started to have a sense of a sense of my own independence which i felt through being able to play music and my my elder cousin he he turned me on to 60s garage music he turned me on to the pebbles albums which were compilations of all these sort of proto-punk bands basically from austin you know and and uh you know some some you know little farm town outside of arizona and they all had these guitars that you could buy really cheap in the local supermarket and fuzz pedals and they would turn the reverb up full and they'd record really really badly um uh, sort of produced records but they had this amazing character and they had all this teen energy and um, and it's a it's a cult now, you know, 60s garage. It really, and uh, and there was one song, you know, they're they're so easy to play. That's what I remember about them. There's a three or four chords, and you could play along with these tracks, and learn them, and learn the harmonica parts. And uh, what you know, and we used to play them, you know, when we were hanging out, me and my me and my other music mates. And there was a band called The Haunted, which is one of the classics, one two five. So. Uh, which is actually quite hard to get hold of. It's a now. great record. It's just like one, well, you know, that if you know about sixties, then this is like Beethoven and and Mozart, and like these are like the, these are the classic standards. Yeah. Um, but it's it's fun that it's still you know a little bit, it's not so uh, popular, so not so widely known still. Did you enjoy school? No. Why not? No, it was the worst time of my life, without a doubt. It was, in, it was, a, it was prison. It's funny. There's a, one. My favourite movie about school is is If, because I did do, I did a couple of stints in a boarding school. Um, um, at one point, my, I was so sort of upset at home for various reasons that I actually asked to be sent to boarding school. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Which is not 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 normally what you do, but someone I know had gone. And my mum, you know, I don't think it was cheap. And I think she at the time was struggling a bit, but she agreed. I think she borrowed some money, sent me there. And um, and, I, and I, when I first went to boarding school, I had a couple of years at this place and I was quite happy. I was so happy because I was so busy and there was so much to do. And there were so many activities. And I, I found out I could sing and I found out I could swim. And I found out there were other things to do other than maths which I was so bad at. I just felt, I think because I wasn't academic, I just felt useless. And that's the worst thing a kid should feel is worthless and useless. Mm -hmm. But that was the presiding sort of feeling of being at school until I found music. And then music was my um, reason to live. You know, that was my purpose.
1: Was that encouraged at school?
2: Um, the choir I was sang in the choir. I used to like singing in the choir, some great pieces of music. you learn about harmony um but after the choir so after the no only between ten and twelve was I encouraged and that was in the choir and then before that it was it was all it was a bit it was pretty much a disaster.
1: did you have any idea when you was at school what you wanted to be?
2: Well, I don't think I was being particularly imaginative at the time. But I thought I might might be an actor <laughs> because I had a lot of actors in my family. And I thought, well, that looks like fun. And, and I used to say, oh, I think I'll be an actor. And they'd all say, no, don't be an actor, please. Don't, you never? No one ever works. Everyone's unemployed the whole time. They're always waiting for the phone to ring. They're constantly about to jump off a ledge because they think, you know, the careers over actors are actors are you know, very uh, shall we say highly strong so i i think i was just saying it because i i felt i understood what they were doing at actors they live they live through other characters they 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 have something missing in themselves right which is like their gift because then they are able to fill themselves up with these other characters and make it seem real and so, you know, to be an actor, I think, yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a curse, actually. A bit like a comedian, stand-up comedian, you know. They have something missing. <laughs> they need to be making people laugh. And, that, and that's part of the gift, you know. Um, uh, not all the time, but most of the time.
1: You said that um, when you was at boarding school and you, you realised you could sing and you enjoyed the choir and... And then obviously, you know, fast forward into, you know, to the nineties to now, you know, you've, you've walked on stages in front of ridiculously big crowds. And what I want to ask you is like back then, like when you found your voice and you, you know, and you would be in the choir, was you, was you were confident young lad? Uh,
2: I I think I had sort of a mixture of being, um, of being a uh, sort of, you know, I think, to, to to do to do to play music and to to perform, if you want to give it that word, uh, some some people need a, an ego, you know, a, a very strong ego. Um, but I think the, the the healthy version of that is that you just really want to do it. You know, you just really want to play music. You're in love with music. You're um, obsessed with it, and and that that is what really um, gets you over the humps that uh, you have to deal with in terms of, um, you know, not just your own um, doubts, doubts of should I be doing this and is it even going to work and am I any good and all that, but also just the challenges of, um, you know, it's not quick or easy to create a a career. It's not, you know, lucky breaks are lucky, they're they're rare and they, they happen you know because of other kind of divine forces yeah. um so so you know I, and i've worked with people as well who, who like you know who want to write a book or something and it's you know there's so there's so many things that hold you back and you just have to be that passion is actually what propels you through it you, know, you just got to really love doing it and want to do it want to do it more than anything else
1: ask you for track four to tell me about the first song you bought from a record shop
2: please the first song yes the first song I bought was um the first song was a single and it was in Woolworth's in Kingston I think I was I don't know, nine eight or nine I went and bought the single of stand and Deliver by Adamant and uh, yeah I think that was the first time I remember someone was on TV at the weekend and in the, when you went in, in the morning, all the kids in the, in the playground before lessons, they're all talking about Adam they'd all seen him do uh, I think it was a Royal variety performance or something like that. It was like one of those big event, event TV, you know, you know, Max Bygraves and, uh, and all sorts of people. Russ Abbott was there and then, um, uh, Adam Ant came on did ant music and uh and everyone was talking about it. I don't know if you Rightly remember so. that. Right, yeah. Yeah, it was he so. was so cool. He was so cool. It was punk, it was like punk for kids. Yeah. You know? And and it but it wasn't like watered down. It was just really arty and really and he was he was a good looking guy and everyone loved it. And we we're all like, Yeah, did you see Adam Ant? So, um when this next single came out, um yeah i went i went and got it It was exciting and um and those those records they they're they they don't sound nice they're they're not sonically you know um sort of they're not uh they're not gentlemen they're they're scruffy and scrappy and they come they come blaring out the speakers there's there's a lot of nasty frequencies in there Mm. and a lot of ideas great ideas and it's fun it's it's fun. I, years later, I got to work with um, uh, a, 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 a stylist called uh, Joe Cora, who who did all of the Adamant um, styling. She worked with him, and she and she's a she's a, a friend now. And she, she, she all of her outfits were then put on exhibition at the V and A, and she took her mom and you know it was a great day, but. She said, "You know, they were just trying ideas out, and there was a lot of spontaneity. And he was thinking, I want to be, I want to be this character. I want to play a character.' And they were just, there was, a, there was a certain amount of calculation in terms of we want to, we want to make this something special. But there was also, they were just trying it out as they went, you know. And uh, that's, that's so, so great when, when uh, that happens in pop music. That is what pop music's all about.
1: Absolutely." I mean, uh, we we were born just a couple of months apart, uh, Crispian, and so um, l- lots of the kind of sort of references that you're saying, were yeah, completely resonating, and, um, yeah. and 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 adamant for sure, and and you know, just looking into your song picks today, I just pulled up the cover of Stand and Deliver, and he just looks incredible, like the cover art of of that seven inch single. He's absolutely phenomenal. And and I I stuck it on again. I actually got to see Adamant live last year, and he was still superb. And um, and, and in regards to intros, just...
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hearing them
1: kind of horses gallop. Yeah. And then just him saying stand deliver and then first line I'm a dandy highwayman what an opening line as well and it's just yeah. such a great pop single and and I think back at that point like when you'd see Adam and the Ants I'm a big fan of like bands that look like gangs and like and they just look like a, a firm and it was like and, and you had that with Madness then and you had that with the specials these look like yeah. gangs and it was like yeah it was just a I think you know I'm one of the people that loves to go back and watch old Top of the Pops and and, and, and seeing that, that kind of period of music, like it was, that's without touching on Culture Club and Duran Duran. It's an amazing time for pop music. Perfect.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and, and, and for me, the other thing that I love about um, those kinds of uh, performers and bands is that they are very serious about their look. They're really into it, but they don't take themselves seriously. There's a there's always that that humour, and um, that is seriously lacking these days. You know, everything's very earnest uh, or up its own arse. And I I just the, those guys, um, you know, it's a tradition in pop music that you you slightly, you know, there's a wink and a smile, and he he had that for sure.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, let's talk about clubbing. And uh, and I'm going to ask <laughs> you for, for track five to tell me the song that soundtracked your years yeah. clubbing.
2: Listen, I've got, to, I've got to fess up. I wasn't much of a presence in Ibiza.
1: <laughs> Do you know what, Crispin? <clears throat> I've done 520 episodes of this podcast, and I've interviewed so many musicians and actors, and every yeah. single person goes yeah i weren't really a big clubber (laughs) i think (laughs) everybody just seemed to be caught up doing what they were doing and clubbing seemed to just kind of be parked up elsewhere or they were just in kind of little dive bars or indie clubs
2: Uh, everybody um was exposed to club culture well i think just before it all really happened at the end of the 80s or late 80s i was just I was still a kid. I was playing guitar. Um, I was discovering the 60s. I was becoming a real 60s, you know, obsessive. <clears throat> and there was a guy out near the school who used to talk about now nah, what you want to let get into his house music. I said, what's house music? And he'd go, yeah, house music. You check it out. You go listen to house music. And I'd say to some kid who was a, like into skateboard and thrash. I said, what? He's a bit older than me. I said, "What's well, house music?" He went, "It's sh- shit, is what it is." <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, okay." So I didn't really look into it, but but then but then something happened, and and it, I got to say, it was an I think it was a really exciting time when when dance music, and and the uh, recreational drug culture, and p- political kind of anarchic kind of attitudes to do with distrust of authority and bands and the 60s and nostalgia all kind of like came together just sort of after the beanfield uh debacle you know where the where the uh the government police sent in and just sort of beat up all the travelers and smashed up all their vans and said, you can't be a traveler anymore. And, 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 and everybody kind of like just said, these guys are, these guys are assholes and all these raves started to happen. And, and it was like a big story. And I just found that um, it was, it felt dangerous. You know, it felt like it, you know, the, the newspapers were down on it and the adults were down on it and that felt really good, you know, Um, and that there's obviously people are just wanting to break out and just go. And I don't, you know, I think there was a political element to it, but I think there was a lot of people who just wanted to let their hair down. And, um, and even if you were just going to a club, you know, at the back of a pub, you know, or some sort of back room at a student union or, you know, at a gig or something, there, there was still this mood that dance and bands and fashion and drugs and politics was all crossing over. And um, it's quite a complicated, heady heady blend. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I, I was able to sort of like separate it and all and really understand all of it but it was it was an exciting time and um I just remember you know it was around the time I was starting to go out on my own with my cousin and and hang out you know like when I was 16 17 18 you know and starting to have that freedom come home late go to a pub order a drink just about get away with it and um this song by pop itself was everywhere everywhere and I have lots of memories of seeing people dancing to it and, and, and this, the fact that it had a kind of a weird sort of anarchic political kind of message. And yet it was to course was big Mac fries to go. It was like, it's the end of the world. Give me a big Mac. I mean, <laughs> and I I loved, I had heard pot, will eat yourself, had done a song called Gribo guru as well, which I thought was an an amazing title. So I think this, this song, for me, kind of sums up that period. It was it was everywhere, and um, there's a few contenders. You know, Stone Roses would be one. Happy Mondays, you know, obviously few. But but this this is the one that I remember. This is the the soundtrack to Snake Bite and Black and Half an E. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do you know what? Like, uh, it, it's a cracking track, and like, I I, I don't think. Popperly itself, like so many of them bands, I'm not including the Roses and the Mondays in that, but lots of other bands that, that come in that era have kind of been forgotten about. Because it it seems so much of of when you know documentaries are made about movements in music, it goes from Manchester straight to grunge and then to Britpop, and 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 that kind of bit in between with your poppies and Carter and stuffies and EMF and all of that, that kind of gets overlooked, and uh, and and within them times you know EMF and Jesus having number ones in America, they were you know having huge success, but I think poppies that whole kind of crossover scene of that sort of indie wild guitar with all them kind of electronics poppies i think really started that and they started that 87 88 like before you know that the the, the rest of them bands happened and and it's the production on that record still sounds huge and like them sort of thundering little drum rolls when it kicks in at the beginning it's a it's a real cool
2: arms that track and uh it is it is that's a great way of putting it and it and it also it it's signalling like we listen to the you know, we listen to the stooges, you know, we're into it there it's it's that, that that uh tradition, you know, yeah. of of um of rock and roll.
1: Absolutely. And I, I know you work with a prodigy and I think I think the poppies did as well. Um yeah. they they, <laughs> they, they worked because I think you could hear when you, you listen to you know those early pop elites because you can you can hear that the prodigy have drawn from that. You know, you know, there was there was you know the whole sample culture as well. They were on that early, and uh, and yeah, and obviously Clint Mansell's gone on to have huge success. Uh, you know, as uh, scoring films and such. Uh, um, you we we spoke about your you know confidence and relationship <laughs> with confidence uh, earlier, Crispian. You, you've chosen a career in. You know, in, in, in music, which is famously one of the most toughest, uh, you know, places to try and, you know, sustain and, you know, and, 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 and manage a career. And you've done that. Um, how driven are you? Uh,
2: no, I don't have a driver. Um, sorry, that was low. Um, it was, it was, um, yeah, how driven am I? Well, I'm definitely... I'm definitely driven um, in terms of uh, getting stuff done, but like I said, you know, y- you want to be driven by the the excitement you have for the the, the music, you sure. know, or what, whatever it is that you're trying to do—make a film or whatever. You, it's that it's that it's that desire to see it come to life or to see it manifest itself, you know. Uh, that that has to be a, an obsession, and I think if if you a healthy way is when is when because it's like you know allowing yourself to just sort of uh, be yourself, really. It's self it is self expression, and and it, you're just letting letting something grow naturally. I think that you know there have been times in the past where I've been driven by an- anxiety, you know, or or fear and 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 sometimes you know if you're if you a lot a lot of people get get if they're very very ambitious part of their ambition is they're trying to suffocate they're trying to douse a certain anxiety that they that they carry around with them for whatever reasons i don't i'm not sigmund freud but it's of you know some kind of trauma or loneliness or whatever and so that tends to become unhealthy (laughs) that that will not that will not take you into a good place. even if you are successful, you probably probably won't last very long and relationships will all be a mess. So uh, yeah I think you know the uh, the drive has to come from a healthy place and I've certainly spent time making sure that um, it's uh, it's not coming from that negative stuff. <laughs>
1: I'm going to ask you for track six to tell me a favorite song from an artist from your home county please
2: you know um i'm i live near winchester and andover and really the only p- people of real note from winchester and Andover was the troggs and um i know everyone's heard the troggs and i was thinking it's got to be someone else it's got to be someone else apart from the troggs I-, I i'd like to I find some surprises personally so I've opened it up to Hampshire and I found out that Mike Bat, he's from Southampton and um you know I was looking into his work you know because he's been so prolific and he's such a, such a sort of a mad English genius and the, the thing I, the first thing I heard of his that really affected me deeply a bit like tubular bells was the music to Watership Down? Obviously, absolutely. Yeah, you know, right? This is so. This is like child childhood trauma stuff. Anybody who's seen Watership Down under the age of eight, you know, will never will never be able to go to sleep before seeing you know the general biting the throats of all those other rabbits <laughs> and the. This is a hor- It's a it's a nightmare. It's a complete nightmare. I've traumatized my kids and shown it to them. And it has that it has that very very beautiful soulful kind of like pastoral theme, but then it's coated in in danger. You know that however beautiful the countryside is, there's always some bastard ready to run you over or shoot you or tear your throat out, and so (laughs) the whole thing has a real tension. And and I I often drive past Watership Down where I am. And I always say to the kids, oh, look, it's Watership Down. And they go, yes, Dad, you know, that's my my running dad joke. I think that's Watership Down over there. And we've climbed it a few times. And um, apart from Watership Down, he also did, Mike Batt did an amazing um, sort of psychedelic opus called The Tarot Suite, full of sort of, you know, different sort of uh, chapter two. The magician, you know, and things like that—a bit War of the Worlds um, with the narrator and stuff—and and the the opening uh, I- introduction to the Tarot Suite, which is the Fool. The Fool is the first card of the Tarot, is complete is batshit crazy, and um, it has a crazy, some crazy guitar in it. You you never know where it's going. It just keeps mutating. I think I think Slash actually covered it on an album so really i think yeah he's got done a cover of this the strings um, are amazing strings are amazing the guitar amazing all these weird t- time changes it's a little insight into a sort of very eccentric british composer who had a sort of a pop music crossover and also went went a bit psychedelic yeah. you know uh maybe quietly psychedelic, but he realised he's... And, and mystical. He's clearly into, he's into, you know, different sort of mystic. Um, he's certainly into tarot. He, he <laughs> guested on this
1: podcast um, a couple of years ago. And uh, and, and when he come on, I, I don't know what memo he got, but he was yeah. sitting at his piano and all of his song choices, he just played and sung them. It was wonderful.
2: Oh, brilliant! <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, he's he's kind of the establishment now, you know. He's probably a Freemason, you know. Him and Richard still go, and you know, Rick Waitman. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, once upon a time, he was right there at the edges of of weirdness, and um, this is a good a good representation of that.
1: Absolutely absolutely okay well look it's your last track uh crispy and i'm gonna ask you to tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to go and listen to please <clears throat>
2: <clears throat> yeah this is a this is a uh, this is a nice uh, question to ask actually because because <clears throat> i think discovering music is one of the one of the joys um of listening and, and, and I always value friends who have a, a great depth of musical knowledge and curate um, compilation tapes and things like that. Um,
1: Are you referencing that metaler that gave you smoke on the water? Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I worked for a time with a DJ called Mark Pritchard and um, he he's a he's a he's a mate him and his him and his friend dave brinkworth they used to have a little studio that they ran out the back of jethro tull's studio down in devon and uh it, because they're djs they just had an, an amazing record collection there's so much um and the djs often do have sort of a, a library going on you know everything like i've got this isaac hayes record because there's hi hat on this track it's brilliant yeah. and i'm going to steal it <laughs> and and a lot of jazz records and stuff from the 60s and a lot a lot of fun working with him but this one uh, i'm sharing this one because we we uh, kula Shaker, you know became pretty famous uh, one of the tracks that we became famous for was was obviously tatva and also govinda and govinda you know is a is a is a is the name of krishna and it's a chant you know that goes back to the dawn of time and you know it really it belongs to the it belongs to to uh the world you know it's it goes back so far and we always sang that song um with a lot of uh, love and respect and it was always very very lucky for us as well it really did really did protect us and and bring us a lot of um, good fortune and i don't mean just sort of that i mean i mean you know happiness and there's there's actually quite a few songs with um the name govinda in it and the the first time i ever heard it was an album that george harrison produced in 1969 i think for apple i think it was one of the first Apple recordings. and it was the uh, the Krishna temple, the Hari Krishna Temple that they that was being set up in London was basically lots of kids who'd kind of dropped out of university and were living as monks and were doing all this, you know uh, congregational chanting. And George was hanging out with them, and and they hadn't. They were trying to get a temple together, and he invited them to live at his house. And John Lennon said, "Oh, you come and live. In, you you guys can also live at my mansion in Tittenhurst, you know." So these two, these these kids who were living as monks were hanging out with the Beatles. And I met one who who had, you know, been living at that time. He said it was really really wild and very interesting time to be be to be living a renounced life whilst living with the most famous people in the world and um george decided to make a record with them to make some money for their temple and he produced the sacred chants with them it's called the radha krishna temple album and it was released on apple and they had two singles (laughs) both of which were on top of the pops so i you know People said, oh, Shake has not been done before. Well, actually, we are just in that line coming from from this these people. And the second single they released was called Govinda. And it was a different, it's a different chant. It's a, actually a sort of a prayer from a, from a scripture called the Brahma Samhita, you know, which is like, again, from the dawn of time. But it's really beautiful. And you can hear George's production and his slide all over it. And it's just, it's, it Reminds me of, um, you know, like those Rotary Connection albums and Mini Ripperton and uh, a little bit of Ananda Shankar as well. You know, just it, it, it becomes sort of ecstatic and 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 uh, will builds to an incredible crescendo. And a lot of people don't know it. And um, I'm happy to turn them on. Here it is.
1: Wonderful. Well, Crispin, we put together. Spotify playlist of all of the tracks that we've spoken about today okay so people can go and explore um, everything that we've uh, we've chatted about today and obviously um, I'll put Kulisheka records on that as well Um, recent single waves as well Um, so tell us a little bit about what people can expect from from the new record as well
2: well we've we we we've been on a on a kind of a, a a pattern over the last 10 12 years of maybe more actually of of only putting a record out every 4 years um, we were having families and kids and um, doing other jobs as well i was i was making films and uh alonso was producing and it it was Paul's playing with other people, and it it just became like well every three or four years we get together, we write some songs, we make a really good album, we'll do some touring, and then we'll go back to this other double life. And then after the um, the lock up uh, years, I mean lockdown, lock up, as I prefer to call it the the idea of um, getting some momentum came up because we made congregational um uh first congregational church which was an album we're really proud of but we 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 wanted to keep writing we had more songs to go that's why it was a double album and then we had a, a scheduling thing with a problem with our with our keyboard player who couldn't do some dates and jay darlington came back who played with us in the beginning and he finished working with the gallagher brothers so then jay was back We had the, we were, it it was like going back to the early, early days. And we were kind of conjured up that, that chemistry was still there. So we, we started writing a lot quick. We went straight back in the studio and, and it was like, oh, there's another record. So we're going to do another record now. And it's, you know, a year cycle, which is sort of much more old school, you know, than the, the big sort of stodgy Pink Floyd let's wait four years yeah,
0: yeah.
2: um but it's it is a little bit more uh get up and go it's a little bit more another great track get get up and go by the Ruttles. Yeah, absolutely. but um it's a bit more to to two, two, two minutes 30 three minute tops you know get in get out it's it's exciting actually to to try and um, and put songs together with that kind of discipline and economy and and we did it back in the day so it's it's quite nice to come full circle
1: and you say it was lovely to you know when when jay joined again to, to you know to have that original sort of chemistry and stuff but how is it now you know just being in the studio together i'll take it there's a lot less pressure now than than what there was you know maybe in the you know the 90s when you know you've got big label pressure trying to sort of you know squeeze everything from you does it feel as, as as obviously you're you're older now does it just feel and you're more grounded i guess in in all your you know you say you've all got families and that now is it just a, a kind of more relaxed and, and comfortable sort of place to, to to write and create
2: now depends what day you go in the studio okay uh, yeah depends I, I we're we're still we're still very ambitious um And it's not like, uh, oh, we want to be, we never got to play Wembley. Let's go back and play Wembley. It's much more like we know, we know we can, we can play at that level. And, and uh, so you're always pushing yourself to be the best, you know, you can be. Yeah. Uh, it, and and it helps you I mean, if you if you lose that, really, it, it, it does get tired and stodgy and it becomes just you may as well just sort of play at the weekends. Yeah. There has to be a hunger. The hunger is really healthy, a hunger to, to, to surprise yourself and to, to just keep getting better. Um, uh, there was a documentary uh, which I watched recently about King Crimson. And I, th- I think Robert Fripp said somebody said, you know, why are you still playing? And he said. You know, I think I'm getting better. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And, and uh, you, you, you have to feel that. You, you have to. If you don't, then uh, definitely I would stop.
1: Yeah. September the fourth, Hundred Club live. Looking forward to that.
2: This was not my idea. <laughs> <laughs> we're, go- we're going on tour. We're going. We're going back to tour America, and we're going to be doing. Um, you know, we're going to be doing clubs basically. So it's going to be. It's going to be fun. It's going to be down and dirty. But uh, we haven't played in England since January, so they just wanted to just freshen up and play a gig before we before we go off. Wonderful. I haven't played there for years. I don't know. I'm sure it's great fun to be in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> it's bloody noisy. It's a bloody noisy space. <laughs> and the record comes out early next year. Um, the the record. Well, I think we have got two more singles to come out, and then okay. and then there's going to be a record in the the album's coming in January, I think. Yeah.
1: Fantastic. Um, if people want to find out everything that's going on with with Cooler Shaker, whether it be releases, tour dates, where, where's the best place to? for everybody to sort of find out about that.
2: I think um, you uh, you go onto this thing called the, the Tintranet. Tell me uh, more. And you Tell me more. Tap, tap in Cool Shaker into Tintranet, and it'll come up uh, all sorts of info. I think you just uh, go to CoolShaker.com, I think.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. I've not
2: checked it out, but I've heard it's quite helpful. <laughs> or .co.uk even.
1: Fantastic. Crispian thanks so much for your time today it's been really really lovely talking records with you mate thank you alright
2: pleasure thanks Stu I'm gonna press stop don't, okay,
1: go, anywhere. don't bye. go anywhere there you go that was a lovely chat do you know what I didn't do it on air but I did tell him afterwards that, um, that my band supported his band when they were called the K's uh, in Romford um, at Hollywood's uh, way back and uh, and he remembered he he uh, he he was saying that he had a manager at the time that uh, that that weren't doing a great deal for him. But uh, he said that uh, apparently they were they were creating quite a stir in Romford, <laughs> which is incredible. No one has ever caused a stir in Romford, and no, I don't think anyone ever will. Um, we certainly didn't cause a, a a stir in Romford, and it was pretty much our back garden. Um, but, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that chat. It was really lovely um, talking to Crispian. And I've been lucky. I've been sent an advance uh, link to listen to the new record that that, that drops early next year. Um, it's really decent. Um, if you're fans of, uh, uh, you know, of Cooler Shaker back in the day, it, it smacks of them them big kind of, you know, Cooler Shaker rock kind of, kind of I don't know what you'd say. Like, it, it it's just good. Just go check it out. And... Uh, a uh, single waves that's available now on Spotify. You know, is he, a real kind of hint of what you're going to get. So, um, so go give that a listen, um, and, I, and I'll put that on the the playlist to accompany this podcast. So when you go over to Spotify and check out all the Crispian's um, song picks, go and check out Waves um, because it's an absolute belter. And and I guess that's all she wrote. So um, I'll be back next time. In the meantime, um, be nice to each other, and thanks again for listening. Bye bye. Oh, lastly, huge thanks to Mr. Tom Dark. It's uh, it's my good friend Tom that um, that put this podcast together. So huge thanks to Tom and uh, and yeah, we're back next time. Bye bye.